Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Robin Pearson from the History of Byzantine podcast. Ryan Stead, the host and producer of the History of Ancient Greece podcast. Jen McMenemy, Ancient History fangirl. Samuel Hansen, host of the podcast Relatively Prime Stories. Peter Adamson, the History of Philosophy podcast. Jenny Redfin. Benjamin Jacobs. David Petrusha. Eric from Reconsider. I'm Eric Marcus. Jenny Williamson. Zachary Davis. Mr. Gorbachev. Tear down this wall. Intelligent Speech 2019 in New York City was a blast, and I am thrilled to announce that I will be back again for 2020. But due to the COVID-19 pandemic, it'll be online this year at intelligentspeechconference.com. Intelligent Speech is an online conference that brings together the best educational podcasts and their listeners, and it is taking place this year online only at intelligentspeechconference.com from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on June 27, 2020. There will be approximately 40 of the best educational podcasters available that day presenting a wide range of topics as well as roundtable debates from several of us. And listeners will be able to fully participate online, including being involved in Q&As with all the presenters and more. A one-day pass for the conference is currently priced at $10 for early bird tickets. So for more details, go to intelligentspeechconference.com and see you there on June 27th. We shall never surrender. This will be an event that you don't want to miss, so I hope to virtually see you there at Intelligence Speech 2020. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who is in Birmingham in England. Today we are joined by TV pundit Laura Babcock in Hamilton in Canada, journalist Emma Burnell and LBC presenter Ian Dale in London, Doug Levy, political consultant in San Francisco, and Derek Perkinson from the National Action Network in New York. 
All black parents have the conversation. The question is when. It breaks down into three salient points. Number one, society does not see you as equal. Number two, you will have to work harder just to draw equal with everybody else. And number three, be careful around the police because you're guilty by having black skin. All black teenagers get that conversation. The only question is when is your child able to hear the truth? Growing up, there always were black deaths. There were the deaths in Deptford and numerous other incidents. There were the sus laws where a policeman could legally arrest you for nothing. In my early 20s, there was the case of Stephen Lawrence, who wasn't killed by the hands of the state, but his murder investigation stalled for years because black lives and black bodies just didn't really matter. British blacks have always been stopped disproportionately by the police and disproportionately suffered whilst being in police custody. But we'd always talk about the latest outrage when I was growing up and say, at least the police here don't routinely carry guns. As a young student, I moved to Worthing, an overwhelmingly white town on the south coast of England, and was stopped three times in the first month while just walking down the road. Obviously, I was doing that suspiciously. By the time of the third encounter, I didn't even stop walking as the police officer called out to me. I didn't even turn round to him as he shouted, we know where you live, but we know where you're going. We know your name's Rory. And then they drove off. This was at 9am in the morning. I've forgotten the many times that people have marvelled at the fact that I can be well turned out and speak well. Why is that a surprise? What were they expecting? In fact, the six times that I've been pulled over whilst driving by the police, I've always spoken to the officers in the most white way possible, not wanting to give them any excuse to see me as an other. I always had the ability to at least change my voice if I couldn't actually change my skin. COVID-19 has isolated us, but at the same time has showed us how connected we truly are. If the person in the corner shop, the person in the packing centre, the person working long hours for poverty wages is sick, they can make us all sick. And so it is with white privilege. If society denies the same opportunities to its minorities that are afforded to its majorities, no one can really be surprised when periodically that minority and its friends kick back in spectacular and in a sometimes violent manner. If a white woman can threaten a black man birdwatching with a visit from the police, knowing who will be believed, it's only one step away from a police officer nonchalantly kneeling on the neck of a black man. Black Lives Matter. One fundamental question. Why is the man who killed George Floyd not in jail? If you had done it or I had done it, we would be behind bars right now. And I cannot come up with a good answer to that question. 
And so I'm calling on Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman to act on the evidence before him. I'm calling on him to charge the arresting officer in this case. We cannot turn a blind eye. It is on us as leaders to see this for what it is and call it what it is. George Floyd deserves justice. His family deserves justice. The black community deserves justice. And our city deserves justice. As is the case across the country, this protest comes in the wake of George Floyd's death, a black man who died while in police custody in Minneapolis. This morning, the U.S. is a nation in crisis. Amid a global pandemic and record unemployment, now comes unrest unlike anything we've seen in a generation. The death of George Floyd and a Minneapolis police officer now charged with his murder has lit an already combustible nation on fire. Mass protests have hit all 50 states over the last few days as tense yet mostly peaceful demonstrations during the day give way to violence at night. At least 40 cities have tried to quell the violence by issuing curfews, which protesters have largely ignored. D, uh, we've seen countless black men and some black women murdered at the hands of the police in the USA. Uh, we've, we know the names, uh, Sandra Bland, Eric Garner, Marquise Jones, Amon Aubrey, Brianna Taylor, Trayvon Martin, Amama Doulay, um, uh, Tamir Rice, Philando Castile. And I suppose it reaches all the way back to the tragic case of Emmett Till in the 1950s. Well, it even goes back before that. Why did this killing make America sit up and take notice of the killing of black bodies? He said, why? Is this the flashpoint? Yeah. Of a new Why? revolution. Why are we fed up? Mm-hmm. Years and centuries of, of suppression and racism. Years of systemic framework and foundations to keep us suppressed economically. We need George Floyd to spark this expulsion of what's going on in America. What's going on right now is the people are protesting. We're upset. Yes, there's a whole bunch of people coming in, piggybacking and making the riots and the looting. But that's not the story. The reason why we're out there, we're upset. And there's a whole bunch of stories where people stopping the rioting and the looting. We're upset because we're tired of people getting murdered. That man was murdered. It was supposedly, I don't know if this is confirmed, they had a relationship when they both were bouncers. That, that cop, Derek Shaven, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed that he has my same first name. He, that man murdered George Floyd with an agenda. And those other three cops, we will not rest until they are arrested also. They need to be held accountable. They were there. Police are to protect and to serve. You have four men on a handcuffed individual who posed no threat with a $10 petty larceny, grand larceny crime. What type of mess is this in America? The people is upset. And a lot worse has happened before this. But this was on videotape. The people saw it. The world saw it. And we will not stand for it. The rioting and the looting, I'm not with that. But I cannot stand by and tell people don't do it because I'm upset. Doug, Thomas Jefferson wrote, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It's, it's natural manure. Was George Floyd's death and the many others before him needed to create this change in America? Because the political system had failed black America by the looks of things. I hate 
to say that that's a possibility because nobody's death is okay. Nobody's. This one, I hope and I pray, finally got people's attention because it was so cold, so cold-blooded. You know, we've heard these stories. Many of us have seen videos from police body cams and bystanders and so on. You know, this is, as Derek elegantly said, this is not at all new. However, this video is undeniable. The police officer with his hand in his pocket as he is killing a person on a street with the help of other officers. There is nothing that can be said to defend that. So anybody who defended the system before doesn't have credibility anymore. And that's why we're seeing the people defending the system, so to speak, turning to uh, rather extreme tactics and sadly violence. And we need to stop that. And I'm not referring to the small number of people that are looting in the name of the protest. I'm talking about the person that called out the military. There is a sense that America is on edge, tested by a pandemic and by a president who cannot hear the anguish outside of his own residence. We're losing black lives constantly to police brutality and racism, constantly. It's not one incident, it's not two incidents, it's constant. Derek, let, let's go back to you. Let's get a little bit more of a sense of exactly how things are in, in America. Which cities have seen the largest progress? And how does that map specifically? Well, Phil, let me blow your mind. When I was watching reports late last night, into mm -hmm. the, I got reports on TV, CNN reported all 50 states held a protest yesterday. We also had a media blackout on social media and the radio media uh, was just playing music on rotate. We need to talk about the ineptitude of this president. Peaceful protest in D.C. yesterday. He wants to give up. Hitler-like, neo-Nazi-like photo op in front of a burnt-down church. Don't even call the pastors of the church of the archdiocese. Have the protesters, the peaceful protesters, cleared out with people on horses and rubber bullets and tear gas. He used chemical agents on American citizens during a peaceful protest. Where's the anger with this man? We need to go to the polls and get this maniac out of office. And everyone with the disease of racism, racism is a disease. It's a mental illness. They need to be cured or they need to be dealt with. 50 states held protests yesterday, Roeville. 50 states. That's almost impossible to get 50 states to agree on do one thing. This is a tipping point in America history. And this president will be out of office in November. This I guarantee. Ian, try and explain to, to Americans um, how you think their president and his handling of the situation so far is being viewed, at least from our side uh, of the pond. Well, he is a very divisive president. Uh, and I think he's got his supporters in the UK far more than you might actually like to think. 
Um, and there's no shades of grey with Donald Trump. You either despise him or you love him. You think he's doing entirely the right thing or you think he's doing entirely the wrong thing. Now, um, I, I interviewed Donald Trump back in 2012. And I, someone um, sent me the interview a couple of years ago and said, do you remember doing this? And I actually had forgotten I'd done it. And it was a completely normal interview. He was a completely nice pleasant individual very far from the person that you see now i don't know what's flipped in his head but something clearly has now i think we have to put this in a historical context because these sorts of um, murders and it is a murder have been happening intermittently throughout the decades this is not something new uh, i think it was derek that said earlier on you you have to go back and look at other examples of where this has happened and i do think one of the reasons why people have been so horrified by this is because we've all seen it happen in real time. The video was there. There have been lots of other incidents where they've been, the, the, the authorities or whoever have slightly been laying them away and say, well, you, you're not seeing it from the right angle or whatever. Well, we all saw what happened here. And it has horrified people all over the world. One of the problems, I think, is the, the way that the police system in America is administered. Because if I'm to say anything in defense of Donald Trump, and I hate doing so, he doesn't actually control all the police departments in the United States. No president does. It's all done locally. And part of the problem there is that the police system is effect effectively under political control. Um, you have elected people running the police departments, and so they always feel they have to look tough. That's the way to get votes. And so when, when things like this happen, everyone thinks, well, they've got to reform the system. But I don't see any willingness to reform the system. If, if they wanted to reform the system, they would have done it five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when other murders and um, examples of police brutality had happened. Now, I don't know what the way around that is. Um, the, the other thing which, and, and maybe Derek can explain this, I don't get, particularly in cities where there is a large... Um, ethnic minority population, presumably quite a high percentage of the police officers are African-Americans in New York City, in Detroit, in New Orleans, wherever. Um, so what is their view about all of this? Because they are effectively being tarred with, with the, the same brush as all the white police officers, because this is a problem intrinsic to the police force. No, I, I appreciate that. So uh, the minorities in the police force, that's one of the things we're going to fight. Who runs the police force? He said elected officials and all of that. The police unions. We have two powerful police unions in New York City that runs the state. They tell the governor off, the mayor off. They turn their back on the mayor. How disrespectful. And he's right. If, the, if elected officials do not appear tough to police officers or always defend their inexcusable acts, horrific acts, then they are turned upon and, and, and you won't get their support very powerful. The police unions, we're in the process now of trying to dig through. The police unions get billions of dollars a year. They use none of that money. It's a whole bunch of surplus every year. We do not want to weaken our law enforcement. That's not the goal, but we need to itemize these things and put some of the resources back into the community to help the programs and community relations. That's what we need to do. And also make them um, accountable. It, it is completely, Ian, you're, you're completely correct into identify this as a problem and spending the time that i've spent in california specifically in oakland it's amazing the strength of police unions on politics 
that they it's unbelievable it, it's, it's something which doesn't happen in britain at all mm. so the very fact that people can vote for literally from dog catch all the way up to judges yeah. um so you do then get police unions weighing in and giving donations to you know the count the county prosecutor who in effect is always going to be the one who's going to be soft on on blue crime and and says that they're hard on dog whistle black crime and i think what happens to black and minority policemen um is that they become institutionalized and that system then says we are all a band of brothers together and the power of that institution then doesn't brook anybody then rocking the boat the police chief of minneapolis is a person of color and actually came in with a mandate to clean it up but it's because of the vested interests of police unions and the tenure that it's incredibly hard uh, than to get rid of rogue policemen. Well, it's it's actually bigger than that. Um, the police union, and I worked with uh, the New York City Police Department on community relations for the couple of years that I was living in New York, and I worked with a lot of minority cops, and I never met a single one who was okay with even some of the small incidents that we saw, but they did not have the power as individual police officers to talk back to the union. That's how overpowerful some of the police unions are, New York in particular. If you look at the headlines today, you'll see all these headlines about peaceful protests and very little, comparatively little trouble in New York yesterday. But the police union chief is out there saying, we've got a clean house at the police department leadership because we're losing control of the city. That's an alternate reality, and it's not factual. And as we have seen, even when we have seen horrible crimes against police officers, in New York especially, the union has always had the most outrageous anti-community reaction, and they've handcuffed the politicians and the leadership of the police department in way too many cases. That's got to change. Police Chief Madaria Arredondo addressing Floyd's family directly on live TV, calling those officers complicit. Being silent or not intervening to me, you're complicit. Mr. Floyd died in our hands. Emma, I'm going to quickly come to you. Um, you're a seasoned observer of, of American politics. How significant is it then, considering what Derek and Doug have actually said, that with this killing, we had so many police chiefs around America and even police unions say, no, this is wrong. Is this as a flash in the pan or can we actually seize on this moment and get real change? There are, as I understand it, several states that have adopted the kind of approaches that see this sort of action far less likely. Actions on particular kind of chokehold restraints, actions um, where the professional conduct is to de-escalate rather than to escalate, which, you know, when we see a lot of the footage that we've seen of um, police responding to protesters, um, that tends to be an escalation response, you know, a, a, an overwhelming force response. 
rather than a de-escalation response. And those states where they have brought those measures in have done better. Um, I'm not going to say they're perfect. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of incidents where they haven't been, but they, they you know, have significantly better um, statistics around um, police brutality, deaths in custody, um, things like that. Um, but that doesn't happen in a uniform way. And Ian is very right that there isn't, there isn't a national response. We may be seeing a 50 state response, but it isn't a national response. Mm. And that's the huge difference between, you know, um, when we had one shooting with a handgun in the UK, uh, in Dunblane, uh, in a school, almost instantly, there was a law at national level, um, and in fact, um, multinational level in some ways, because we are a nation of nations, that um, banned handguns. And we were able to do that because we had, at the time, a working national politics. You couldn't, I mean, you couldn't do that in the States anyway because of the Second Amendment and Second Amendment protesters. That It's designed not to have a national response, um, to have a state-led response. And then you are going to have states with leadership as different as Alabama, Alaska, New York, California. These places are as different as the UK, Canada and America are. Um, and I think it's, it's really, as long as you have that, it's really impossible to get a national political response. Uh, Laura, let's, let's come to you. There's the expression, you know, when America sneezes, Canada catches a cold. Obviously, uh, Ontario, specifically southern Ontario, has pockets of large concentrations of uh, black Canadians. And they sometimes have somewhat of a vexed relationship with the police. What are the, going to be the ramifications for, for policing and police community re- relations in southern Ontario? Well, it's an excellent question. If I can uh, back up to the comment about our proximity to America, an American tweeted out last night that living in Canada must feel like living above a meth lab because of the craziness that goes on there. But the reality is that there is systemic racism in Canada. And I spent Saturdays last summer trying to get neo-Nazis off our city hall forecourt. Uh, you know, and it, the police response to that was less than minimal until a, a white supremacist from another province drove up in a school bus and into the crowd where my kids were, right? And then finally, we got some police response to protect our racialized minorities in our city. It is a problem in Canada. We've seen the Prime Minister, of course, had the blackface incident, but he made a a speech uh, with humility, saying the last thing that people want to hear is a white man who's got his mistakes in his past weighing in on racism, but he did advocate that the country really listen. And I think the the world might have heard by now his pregnant pause when he was asked about Donald Trump having the military go after peaceful uh, protesters in Washington. He he sort of didn't say anything for it felt like an eternity, which was very powerful. Uh, He said, now's the time for us to listen and to change. So here in Ontario, to your point, I mean, there's, there's minorities across the country. Montreal had riots where they had some looting and rioting, but they had a peaceful protest as soon as the curfew uh, came up. Montreal police in Quebec used tear gas and rubber bullets on the crowds, right? Uh, so we've seen we're not 
that much better than the US. We don't have nearly the kind of militarization, but we do have the militarization of our police. And when you look at Ontario, our premier, the most populous province, said we don't have a, ra a problem with racism in this country. I mean, that to the, to the black populations in Southern Ontario, beyond, beyond uh, infuriating. Some said it felt like torture, having to explain the systemic racism in Canada in our history, not, not even talking about our indigenous people. I mean, the United Nations a number of years ago chastised Canada for the treatment of our indigenous populations. And I've lived in communities in the far north where it was segregation. And this is only 20 years ago, right? Some restaurants were for the indigenous, some were for the few white girls like me. So, I mean, Canada has the issue with it. And right now in our city, here, some members, uh, advocates for our racialized communities have got a petition saying defund the police because it's not so much the police unions. Our police chief uh, and our police are so powerful. They get the majority of the tax budget. They never get challenged on how they spend it. They never have to stay within the sort of restraints that other community groups have to stay within. There seems to be no accountability and the citizen oversight method, which is the police services board, uh, it, the deciding vote is the mayor who is in lockstep with the police chief. So they won't, people from racialized minorities tried to get on the board and they didn't even get a proper vetting process. So we have racism throughout our system in Canada, throughout our history. And right now in downtown Toronto, they're boarding up stores for fear of looting and rioting happening. Uh, on the good side, there have been protests across our country in support of, what, of Black Lives Matter. And uh, so Canadians very much feel passionately about it, but you know, don't, don't, I don't want anyone to fall into the belief that Canada is also not a country that struggles with racism. We absolutely do. And unless we take action and support the efforts of our racialized communities, we're not going to make any progress on this. So, I mean, all I can do is listen and support and show up and protest when I'm called to and try to hold our civilian leaders uh, to account. Ian, uh, there have been calls for a review of the disproportionate uh, police use of the taser after two black men were targeted uh, just last week. There are numerous statistics out there saying that the police in the UK are more likely to taser uh, people of colour and the outcomes are more deadly. Do you think that what's happening in America will cause the government to review its policy on tasers? Um, the honest answer is I don't know. I, I think the the effect of this murder is is profound in this country, and you're, you're seeing. I mean, as we're speaking now, there's a big Black Lives Matter protest going on in Hyde Park, which, given the coronavirus situation, you do have to question whether that's a good idea, given that we know that um, ethnic minority members are more likely to contract coronavirus. There's no social distancing from what I've seen of the pictures in Hyde Park, which I, I do find a bit odd. I, I think that we periodically, we see these horrific incidents, particularly in the United States, and everyone sort of scratches their head. They, they, utter, they, they condemn it in the way that we always condemn things, and rightly so. And then the news agenda moves on. And this time next week, we will be talking about something else. Now, there may be something different about this because of the horrific nature of actually seeing it happen in real time. Um, I hope that things are, that, that lessons are learned and things are more profound. But listen, America had a black president for eight years. Um, you have to ask, if America has a black president and very little changes in that time 
for black people in America. Now, I mean, that people may disagree with that, but um, you see, Donald Trump goes around saying, well, the um, em employment levels among African Americans are at an all-time high. This has happened under my presidency. Wage levels are at an all-time high. This happens under my presidency. I quoted that on my radio show the other day, not to support Donald Trump, but he can, if, if the official statistics say that, he can legitimately say it. And I, I was almost shouted down by some of my listeners saying, well, it's totally inappropriate to even play devil's advocate in this situation. Um, you, you shouldn't be saying this sort of thing and you think well there was eight years when Obama had the chance to profoundly change something and he didn't do it now if he can't do it who can Emma you wanted to jump in yeah I have just two things I've, I wanted to sort of come in on and um, first of all to reiterate that as uh, Laura said about Canada so I should say about the UK I come from a blended family my brother is black and even with that situation I know that I can stumble across the wrong words sound tone deaf not get it right a lot of the time um, if you look behind me if you squint very hard you'll see that I've got my Obama door hanger from when I went out on election day in 2008 dragged my now ex-husband probably for that reason um, out canvassing with me for Obama in his first election that doesn't make me feel like a civil rights leader. It makes me feel like Bradley Whitfield in Get Out now, because I look at it and I just think, oh yeah, I'd have voted for Obama for a third time. But what Ian was saying, I mean, there are, no, there are two things in terms of why Obama, why things didn't change more under Obama. I think maybe even three things. First of all, for most of that time, he didn't have a majority in Congress, which makes it very hard to get anything done in Washington. Secondly, um, I think that there is always a reaction after there's been change. Uh, and, and what we've seen in Donald Trump is a, a, a reaction of the reactionaries to the progress that Obama embodied. But thirdly, and most profoundly, it's not on Obama. It's not on black people to make change because it's not the black people who are killing people. It's not the black people who are, who are getting this so badly wrong. It's, it's white people, and it's, it's sometimes it's white people like me who feel that we you know, are fully on the right side, but not doing enough, not getting our language right, stumbling over things, not getting it right all the time. Um, and, and sometimes it's on the white people who disagree with me about how big a problem is. And sometimes it's on the white people who use hashtag all lives matter, who don't understand that the reason that you have to say black lives matter is because some people act like they don't. And that's why the reiteration that is so important. And I was listening to your monologue at the beginning, Royfield, and thinking about that conversation. And my white parents probably didn't have that conversation with my brother because they wouldn't really have known in that instinctual way that they should have had to. Mm. And when they moved from London, from Hackney, which frankly is a very, very mixed area, to Hertfordshire, I will never forget my brother saying, to my mum, in Hackney, they treat me like your son. In Hertfordshire, they treat me like your mugger. And I know that me and my brother can walk down the same street at the same time, and we will be viewed completely differently. And it's not on my brother to change that. It has to be said that I had the conversation with my son in Ontario uh, two years ago. Um, so he's 19, no, three years ago. 
And it was just as he, he passed his driving test first off. And I said, son, you're going to be driving in that car and the police will pull you over. Do not give them any excuse. doesn't matter whether you think it's justified or not, right? You please, sir, and no, sir, right? I, I don't need my son to be a statistic, right? You will give that officer who's had a bad day reason to use disproportionate force. And I says, and what's going to make this even more unfair? Because he lives, he's, he lives in Burlington, of which Laura will know, is a, a very nice uh, Canadian suburb, vast majority white, and he's one of the few brown people there. I said, you know, welcome to the world. But if the police officer pulls over you and all of your friends and you're all rowdy, right, you are going to stick out. Don't give them any excuse. Something that was a revelation to me in COVID, which of course was the big conversation until this. Uh, and I'm glad that this is the conversation. I think it's a critical juncture, like a tipping point. As Derek said, there's an opportunity here for real change if we all keep up the fight. But one of the things that I hadn't realized is when they said, you know, everyone should wear a mask. And I saw, it might've been on Twitter or the news, but I saw a black person say, okay, that's fine for you. But what about as a young black man, you want me to wear a mask now walking down the street? Mm. And I thought, my, I couldn't even, like to, to have to layer in the additional threat. I mean, we already know that COVID is disproportionately affecting black people for a, a bunch of different reasons. But to then say, okay, am I saving myself from a pandemic and helping other people around me, but putting myself at further risk for looking like I'm a threat, like I'm the mugger walking down the street. That just kind of blew my mind because we don't have uh, people who are born with white skin. We don't understand what that's like to be thought of as suspect or criminal because of the color of your skin. And I think what happens to Emma's point is that it is for the people of privilege to help the people who are being discriminated against. And I think a lot of people of privilege shy away from even the conversation because they're afraid of getting it wrong. And we, we have to get over that. And the way to get over that is to learn, you know, to, to just say, okay, tell me what to say. What are the words? What, did you, what do you need? <laughs> you know, what will be helpful? And I don't just want to sit and, and put a black box on my Twitter feed for a day. What can I actually do? What can I do? Is it, is it police funding? Is it who I elect? Is it, is it listening more? Is it having more conversations and more relationships with people who are different than me? So I can, what can I do? And I think that that's where we need to start. For those of us who don't have direct lived experience, we need to ask. Derek, Blackout Tuesday, clicktivism over activism. Where do you stand? Where does the National Action Network uh, stand with that? Sir? Where do we stand with Blackout Tuesday yesterday? Yeah. Well, is it an excuse for a lot of well-meaning liberals and liberals in the classic sense of the word to say that, yes, they're supporting the right cause and doing something, but not really putting themselves in any level of harm's way? Well, it, it's, it's funny you say that. Um, we've had a lot of discussions here on the ground about uh, those same things. Um, it, this is a Black Lives Matter issue, so to speak. A Black man was murdered in cold blood by uh, law enforcement. In, in front of the world. So this is a, a, a black issue, but it's a human issue at its core. So to have other, other people, the liberals and all those other folks come and, and help with the push, it's very well needed. However, it was said by, I forget exactly, the elected official that spoke a couple of days ago on the weekend, you guys are more than welcome to be in a fight with us, but let our voices be the ones up front. 
that's what we need. We need our voices up front with the conditions that we've grown up under and at and it's embedded in our, our DNA and our mental trauma for decades and centuries. We need to express that. You know, you having sympathy with us, for us, and in our fight with us, but you were not going through those things, you really can't relate. But we need everyone in this fight for systematic change and get rid of racism in our society. So it's very well said. Um, it's good to hear the other uh, people speak, especially in Canada. Um, I was always fond of Canada. Went on cruise years ago, and 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 I ran to a doctor in Canada, and he told me about the universal healthcare in Canada. So ever since that that conversation, you know, when I think about healthcare in America, and I always think about Canada and those things. So to know that the neo Nazis are thriving in Canada bothers me just as much as they're thriving right here on Randall's Island in New York City at 4:35 in the morning, less than a mile away. And, and, and they, the Ku Klux Klan meet there. And they're, and they're part of the fire department, the police department. This is what we have running our system. These judges that's giving us bad sentences for minor crimes and violations and freeing their friends. This is the systematic system that we're trying to dismantle. And it needs to be dismantled. And it will be dismantled with all of your help and energy. We had to actually in Canada uh, last year, somebody realized that an avowed neo-Nazi, someone who had run like been at the top of one of the national neo-Nazi organizations had been working in a power position in the IT department of our city hall. And you couldn't even access them through the regular city hall directory. So it took uh, all kinds of activism and vice news dropping in and confirming that this person was there. And then we all had to stand up and get that person out of that position because we had uh, our only, at the time, racial uh, city councillor, racialized city councillor, saying, what, what are you talking about? This person has access to all my private files and those of people in our community? I mean, what could they do? Now, this person says they've since disavowed neo-Nazism, etc. cetera. Uh, but, I mean, if you can have that sort of known about and hidden running the IT or close to the top of the IT department of a, of a significant city, you know, that was a real eye-opener for us here in our city. And, and you know, it is, it, it is, I think there's some stats out recently about how Canadians look at racism, and only 30% think that there's a real problem with it you know and that is somewhere where we have to start educating on on conversations like this because people don't want to acknowledge it because if they acknowledge it then they have to do something about it right and so we have to get rid of that that um, disavow them of the notion that just because we have excellent health care we're a much more peaceful nation we have an assault rifle ban i mean we've got a lot of good stuff in canada don't get me wrong yeah happy to yeah. be here I'm duty bound to be here to simply say that it is your duty not to burn your own house down for anger with an enemy. It is your duty to fortify your own house so that you may be a house of refuge in times of organization. And now is the time to plot, plan, strategize, organize. So my question for us on the other side of this camera is after it burns, Will we be left with charred or will we rise like a phoenix out of the ashes that Atlanta has always done? Uh, Doug, I'll come on to you in a little bit, uh, Ian. But Doug, quick question for you. Talking about avowed racist, Steve King, the Republican congressman, lost his GOP primary yesterday. How much of that can we layer on to the current climate in America? Or was he always going to lose that seat? The GOP were very clear they were not backing him. Yeah, don't read too much into it. He lost power because the GOP leadership did strip him of his committee seats. 
So that was a good thing. But they did it after his last election. And this man has been spouting racist garbage for many years. Um, this was the GOP's trick to show that they are somehow sensitive to this man's bile uh, and not accepting it. But they really were just telling him, okay, Steve, it's time to retire. This was politics. In fact, I don't think his opponents even talked about the racism stuff. It's good that he's going to be leaving Congress, no question about it. But it's not that America has somehow got religion. Uh, Dominic Raab has been incredibly silent on Trump's comments all the way through um, this emergency in America. Has America critically foregone its moral leadership throughout the world? Specifically, if we look at China, China just this weekend, there were a load of placed editorials with them actually mocking the US, with them uh, talking about pro-democracy demonstrators in Hong Kong. And, and basically, China is saying, put your own house in order. Where does this leave geopolitics going forward? Um, it's impossible to predict in in some ways. I mean, you, you do have to laugh when you hear China making these comments. Um, Iran has been doing something similar, um, rather ignoring the fact that I think 300 demonstrators were killed by the Iranian regime in a protest uh, recently. Look, it is easy to say that America has foregone moral leadership. You you can date this back way before uh, Donald Trump. You could date it back to the Iraq War. You could date it back way before that if you if you wanted to. Um, it, it's so difficult to work out what is in Donald Trump's mind. Um, sometimes I think he doesn't really know, and he's just reacting on a day to day basis. I would like to think that he wasn't deliberately using all of this to stoke up uh, more protests so he can act the tough guy and appeal to uh, people who think law and order is the most important thing in a presidential election. Um, I think he may get his comeuppance if that really is his strategy. People have made up their minds about Donald Trump one way or the other. Nothing is going to change in that regard between now and November. America is adopting a quasi-isolationist stance, but sort of cloaking it into trying to still play the moral arbiter, sort of pointing out Chinese things that go wrong in China uh, and all the rest of it. And um, I, I don't see how, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would like me to say, Royfield, that Dominic Raab should have come out and castigated Donald Trump personally for what he's done. And I'm sure Dominic Raab um, would probably personally like to do that. But we live in a world where there are certain rules of democracy, and the British government has obviously condemned what happened in Minneapolis, quite right too. But you're never going to get a British Prime Minister, particularly in the circumstances that we find ourselves in now, you're never going to get a British Prime Minister or a Foreign Secretary castigating an American president in the way that a lot of people would like them to do. That is real politic. And um, I don't blame them for that. We're trying to strike a trade, free trade agreement with them. There are things that you have to caveat in those circumstances, however sort of awful it might seem to people who would like to think that we live in a land that flows with milk and honey and that we mother we have uh, motherhood and apple pie all the time life ain't like that 
If I can add to that, when Trudeau, our prime minister, was posed the question about what do you say in response to Trump having the, the military police actually fire on those innocent protesters, uh, he did that pause, right? Because of course he would love to say a lot. I think most Canadians would like, but we understood the pause. You're our biggest trading partner in the US. We have so many close ties. We're, we're still trying to keep the border shut between the countries because of COVID, but that is fraying. Uh, and so, you know, we are the mouse to the elephant. And so sometimes the mouse is better just to let the, the silence hang. That being said, I just want to comment on, I mean, this reminds me a little bit when we hear Derek say, absolutely, you know, Trump's going to lose. And we talk about how Trump might get his comeuppance for doing the law and order thing like Nixon did, you know, after, after 68. Uh, I watched a panel, I think it was Fareed Zakaria, GPS, just before the last election in 2016. And a group of international pundits were saying, there's no way he will win. There's no way America would let this man win. It would be a disaster for the world. And I just cautioned that the uh, law and order line, especially when there's night after night after night of people thinking that their business someday is going to be taken over by these so-called thugs, that can really resonate. And so I really hope that you're right, Derek, I'm with you. <laughs> I still have my Obama shirts from back then when I was supporting yes, Obama. Yes. But, but I don't think that we want to get ourselves into a place where we are believing that this is just a no-brainer, he's not going to win. Who knows what someone who likes to change the rules and doesn't adhere to conventions and has no morality is going to try to do between now and November. And so I, I think we have to keep the narrative of he shouldn't win. There's ample evidence of why he's an absolute threat to the world and to American lives but he may well. And, and where does that take us? I totally agree with all of that because I think that over the last 10 or 20 years, we have seen time after time after time when the political punditarati, which let's face it, we're all members of, is so out of touch with the way that ordinary people around the country are feeling, whether it's in the United Kingdom or whether it's in the United States. In the US, you have the media on the East Coast and the West Coast who don't really look at what goes on in that big bit in the middle. And we have a, a Westminster media in this country that barely, barely ever ventures outside the M25. Um, and, and that's why nobody saw the Brexit referendum result coming. That's why people didn't think Trump had a hope in hell in 2016. So let's not make that same mistake again. We talked about clicktivism, activism um, before. I want to specifically look at Twitter. Now, Emma, you, you is big on the Twitters. Uh, twi Twitter has started to label uh, Donald Trump's uh, lies kind of as such, or at least caution the reader. Uh, to give him the truth behind some of his tweets. Is this too little too late? And what role does Twitter play in political discourse, especially when we have a combustible situation as we have now? Should they have taken action sooner? Oh, God, it's a really... Or not at all. Should they have taken... Thank I you, Mr. Dale. <laughs> if they were going to take action, they should have taken it much sooner, much stronger. What they've done is a bit weak tea, um, and it, you know, all it seems to have really done is riled up Donald Trump, which it really doesn't take very much. Um, the problem we have is that these platforms consider themselves platforms, not publishers. And that, that distinction may feel like absolutely nothing to anybody else, but what they say is it means that they have no editorial control and therefore no editorial discretion. Um, so everyone can publish and then they, they put out a few rules, but actually certain people are allowed to break them up to and including largely Donald Trump. That's the, the you know, should t Twitter take action answer. Um, I think Twitter, 
does two things in terms of its influence on politics. One, it's where the political people talk to each other or rather talk past each other a great deal of the time. Um, quite a lot of that, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody else, is performative. Um, where I think of a really good Dominic Cummings line, and I will put that out there, knowing that I am not changing anybody's mind about Dominic Cummings. What I'm doing is boosting my own profile in terms of what I have to say about Dominic Cummings. Now, I have some interesting and nuanced things to say about Dominic Cummings, and I've written articles that, where I try to make a longer argument. But Twitter ain't that. Twitter's where you build an audience that may then... 5% of that audience may then go in and look at your more nuanced and interesting thoughts and questions. What it also does is make us feel like, oh, everyone agrees with me because, oh my God, I got so much feedback, or everybody hates me because I got so much feedback. Uh, whereas actually, 99.9% .9 of the country has no idea who the hell I am. Um, probably 95% of the country doesn't know who our most famous people on Twitter are, except possibly Gary Lineker. Yeah, it isn't. It isn't real life, but it gets amplified and boosted because all the people who do think and write and talk about politics a lot are on there talking and thinking and writing about politics to each other. But, but do we need to look at the power and the culpability of these platforms, considering how important they are in disseminating information and lies and conspiracy theories and uh, division surely we need to check social media and these two questions going out to you Doug because you're you're a little bit more active on the Facebook I believe sir um, Facebook doesn't want to put itself up as the arbiter of correctness per se they just want every conversation on the planet to go through Facebook but they're gonna have little rules can we afford to have such a powerful media outlet forget where they call themselves a publisher or a platform, they're a media outlet that has um, no responsibility to the ramifications of actually the fact that it's helping to sow division in society, but also it's putting people in silos. So I can get right-wing news if that's all I want. I can have left-wing news. Never the twain shall meet. Surely we need to check the power of these large media organizations. If you can figure out how to do it, I would applaud that. The distinction between platform versus publisher is very important. And I actually think that Facebook is correctly identifying itself as a platform. And it is very problematic for a platform to be imposing any kind of editorial control. So I agree philosophically with the position that Mark Zuckerberg has taken. Where I differ, however, is when anybody who is a good human being is aware of something that is causing especially physical harm or has the potential to cause physical harm, such as inciting a riot, Inciting a riot has always been one of the exceptions to the First Amendment, for good reason. I don't know, I can only think of a couple of people that have ever disagreed on that point. So I think that Facebook, if they're going to be the dominating communications platform, absolutely has an obligation to do something 
to stop when they know that they're being used to incite violence. They have to do something about it. And it's got to be better than just taking down the videos of people being killed on Facebook Live because that stuff is... There's, they've created an incentive for people to be vile. That's wrong. Mm. The, the whole business model uh, is all around a reaction, isn't it? doesn't matter whether That's it's right. positive or negative. And this is having exactly. adverse societal effects. Uh, quickly, Laura, because then uh, you, you can come in because then I want to kind of move in and slowly start to wind this down. But go on. You've got a couple of minutes. Well, look at why Facebook was created. I mean, from the movie that I watched, it was to rate women at university, right? I mean, we can't expect that suddenly these platforms are going to have some sort of moral reasoning behind them as an alternative to post-it notes in a company in San Francisco. So, I mean, they didn't come from a place of being publishers. They're not trying to be the New York Times or whatever other media. They are coming from a position of they were something that was new. They were given no restrictions. And remember when we heard that the banks were too big to fail during the financial crisis in 2008 uh, or whenever it was. Uh, Now we're hearing these are too addictive to to shut down or to take apart. We all wanted to quit Facebook last year when we heard what was going on there with their algorithms and and their data mining. But did we? No, because then I lose all my mom's friends who contact me, right? So, I mean, we are sort of stuck with these platforms. And all I can say, I have two young children, is I say to them, listen, social media is a, is a vortex of entertainment rage inventing. Uh, and you know what? You don't get your news from there. And please, in all things, apply a critical lens. I mean, I kind, of, I kind of laugh at my liberal arts university degree, what came out of it, critical thinking. You know, That's the only thing that protects us. My, Mark Zuckerberg is not going to protect us. And Twitter only did that because they were under tremendous pressure about a conspiracy against a cable host in the US. In the US. They can't possibly police Trump. He's their biggest business. He, he made them relevant again. So I don't think we should have those expectations. I think we need to teach ourselves to think and to process and to triple check our sources. Okay, let's start to uh, wind this down. Uh, Derek, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, uh, where is the consoler in chief? <laughs> and, and it's an often repeated refrain for oh. me on this podcast. When will Republicans in government of good character say that Donald Trump is morally, ethically, intellectually compromised and so unfit for office? This he's incompetent. He's incompetent. But thank God he's incompetent because he's also got bad intention. The the more incompetence, the better. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. But we we gotta realize Trump is not alone. He has people around him, puppet mastering. I really personally think he's a Manchurian candidate. I really believe that. He's been to Russia many times before he ran. They probably did some mind control. He has the way he goes, get the suntan, his eyes look crazy. <laughs> Something is going on, maturing candidate. But to touch upon what you're saying, we need to vote. We need to change that Senate. Right now, a lot of people are not speaking about this. I don't even know if you guys are aware. Here in America, the Senate controls judgeships of the federal judges. Mitch McConnell, even through the pandemic, with people home with the pandemic, he's been pushing through judges. Friends, Republicans. Our law system is going to be in whack for the next 50 to 60 years. These people get these positions, their lifetime positions, and they're very responsible for the laws and things on how the law is interpreted and how the laws are being passed. Um, he's already angling for another seat on the uh, Clarence Thomas thing about leaving the Supreme Court, which is terrible. And then uh, Ruth Ginsburg, bless her heart, Ruth Ginsburg, 
she's 90, almost 100 years old. How much more time that she got? So he may get a chance to get two more people in that seat, which would be crazy. So we have to vote, get Mitch McConnell. Senate is very a big piece of that puzzle. Trump is, I could live with another four years of Trump if we flip that Senate. If we control the Senate and, 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 and the House of Representatives, I could live with another four years of Trump. But if we cannot have another four years if the Senate is under the Republican rule, we have to change everything in this country. And the old established, uh, they call them the good boys club. They, they can't, they're getting too old. They're not gonna be able to maintain this power hold any longer. Their time is coming, Jack. We can't have two justice systems in America, one for black America and one for white America. I'm tired of this. I'm 45 years old. 45 and I'm 31. And I'm tired of seeing And you the older generation than me and I'm right. too. And we've been standing but around as something. the older ones taking all this bullshit. Always hoping for a coup by fucking y'all. Ain't nobody coming to protect us. But let me tell you something right here. This 16, he's 16, President say. If you look at you at this point, I'm ready to die for what's going on. Uh, Derek, you best unmute yourself, sir. I'm coming back to you. Yeah, uh, Colin, yeah I'm right here. Colin Kaepernick uh, was castigated for silently protesting at the start of uh, some football games, what, three, four years ago now. Uh, this led to him losing his job and him being called an American. Have we actually got to a point when black people can be seen as legitimately protesting again. I think the last time was the 1960s. That's the time when, when my white America said, you kind of have a point. It was those images of dogs biting people in Selma and across that bridge and uh, white nice America went, something's up here. Is this a, a once in a generation moment that organizations like the National Action Network need to seize upon? Um, listen, the National National Network is an organization started over 30 years ago in, um, in one more, in a few more months. Reverend Al Sharpton been doing this work for over 61 years. He's 65 years old. The God touched this man. He's anointed. He was at four years old preaching. I know I'm telling you guys these things, but you have to understand, no kid at four years old think about getting his sisters, his older sisters, doll babies, taking them to the basement and practice preaching to them. No four-year-old is doing that. God put something in this man. Reverend Al Sharpton has been fighting this fight for years. Reverend Dr. Al Sharpton, NAN, National Action Network, Michael Hardy, the executive director, general counsel, they've been doing this work. Amadou Diallo, Sean Bell, they've been doing this work. So what is NAN doing? Since the pandemic, when everyone's on quarantine, shelter, in the House of Justice, the national headquarters, what I manage here right now, We've been serving meals six days a week. Three weeks, four weeks ago, we've been made that seven days a week. We are reaching half a million meals. Today or tomorrow, we will hit that number. Half a million meals were given out during the last three months in this pandemic. We have a meal distribution set up nationwide. This is what we do for the people. Not only that, Reverend Al Sharpton is very involved in, in speaking about the policy legislation in D.C. that's going on here. He was just at a press conference yesterday. I was able to attend with him here in New York City. The city council, Corey Johnson, Hakeem Jeffries came. Uh, they had a bill denouncing and making chokehold a federal offense. Any law enforcement official who uses a chokehold and, 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 it, and it results in the death of an individual will be a felony charge. Okay? We have Hakeem Jeffries pushing and Adriano, Congressman Adriano, SBI, pushing similar legislation on the federal level. So National National Network, listen, 
Reverend Al Sharpton, let me tell you something. He's been doing this since four years old. He, his mentors are James Brown, Mahalia Jackson, who was the biggest gospel singer at the time when he was like 11 years old, taking him around the country to preach. So he's been around the best, Michael Jackson and, and everybody. So this man does not take a day off. He has a radio show seven days a week. On a Sunday, on a Monday, you will find him. On a holiday, you will find him in a corporate office. So what I, I, the t- I, t- I tell you what, we're doing say, a lot. Derek, say to him, if he wants a brother on with a nice English accent, I'm available. <laughs> he All loves right? it. He loves it. Okay. Now, you need to show him your numbers. You just got to show him how many people you're going to get to tap in. And he'll, be, he'll love to do it. And I would love to arrange it. But listen, but, but, I want to connect but Derek, with everybody on the can, call. Can, Derek, can I, the question can is... I, can I put a bid in for my radio show as well, Derek, please? <laughs> I, I want... I want you all, but listen, I want to be on all your shows because I need to talk about what we're in America, right on the ground. Share our information. But just answer the question, is this a flash in the pan or will we get sustained change and what will change look like before you go? There's a curfew in New York City for the last two days. It's been disrespected. It's not going to be respected. There was a 50-state protest yesterday. It will not stop until all four officers are not only arrested when they face the consequences for their actions of murdering a defenseless handcuffed man in the, on in live TV in front of the world to see until they are in jail. And then, and then, no rest. and then brother, and then we break down the system and then we build up the system of systematic racism, systematic racism here. We're going to break that down and make it fair. Because I, I think the system is fair. I just think we have individuals, white nationalists, neo-Nazis in positions that are making the system look unfair. So if we okay. have fairness on every level, it will probably be a good system. That's right. just my thoughts. Last question to everybody. I'm just going to go, go through you. Let's just have two lines each. Um, with more than 100,000 Americans dead because of COVID-19, the highest unemployment rate since the Depression, America in flames with the National Guard deployed, make America gain is obviously a failure. What will it take? And this is just two lines, please. What will it take for the 42% of people who are polled in America to realize the state that the country is in and that the commander-in-chief, the president, is an imbecile. Emma, go, you're first. Uh, I don't think all that 42% will. I think actually very small number of them will. You need all their minds. You just need to change enough of their minds to win in the states or on knife edge what it will take no complacency hard bloody work ian what it will take is a good campaign and boy does joe biden need a good campaign because he is a totally useless candidate should never have been selected and i, I fear that he will be the reason that donald trump could get re-elected who would you like to be up against donald trump in november ian just very quickly well, almost anyone else. I mean, not Bernie Sanders, but somebody who just looks a credible president. And there, there were, was no one. There was no well, one. There was I mean, no they, one. That's they, why you can't I, pick nobody. That's why they, 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 had, they, had twen- they had 20 odd candidates and some very mm. odd, in- odd indeed. Um, but, the, but the Republicans are the same, aren't they? I mean, they, they had, what, their 20-odd candidates before Last Trump was elected. Yeah. But they, 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 did have, they did have a few credible ones there, but for whatever reason, they fell yeah. by the wayside. Look, I, I, come, I come to look at this as a, 
sort of uh, as somebody who used to be a sort of Reagan Republican, and I haven't supported the Republican Party since about 2008 when it became a religious sect, and it hasn't changed. That's their problem, but the Democrat problem is their candidate, Joe Biden, I'm afraid. All right, Laura, you're up next. What it's going to take is, for some, a direct experience of COVID in their families, a direct experience from the violence of the police in their families to maybe get off this idea that Trump is the answer to what ails them. But I think it's going to take Bloomberg's billions. Honestly, the best stuff in Biden's campaign has come out of (laughs) some other independent projects, and it's going to take money. It's what it comes down to. The Republicans have more. Trump has more. Let's not pretend that it's not a game of money. And so, yeah, Bloomberg, bring on the billions and help out Biden. I like Biden, but he needs help. (laughs) Uh, Doug, let's have your answer, sir. I don't hold a lot of hope, although um, what it's going to take is Republicans and people actually in the administration to not only have spines, but have uh, empathy and, and integrity. Uh, the defense secretary has now come out and said that it would be wrong to use the active duty military and the national guard is going to do an investigation into how the hell anybody thought flying a helicopter over DC to split up protesters was okay. Cause that's not, that's what we do when we're attacking a foreign land. I mean, that's that. Um, that's North Korea seeing, tactics. Right, right. I mean, this is truly stuff that is done. China against Hong Kong. Anywhere else. And, um, you know, Trump called Putin and the the, the dictator of Brazil for help instead of Angela Merkel or anybody or even Boris Johnson. So there's stuff really wrong. We need people to stand up against But but wait a minute. Okay, I suppose really I set up half of my questions really kind of know what I think the answer is going to be. Fox News last week ran talking heads with people saying this was wrong. This murder, it was wrong. May Really, what I'm saying is, when can we have more than just the odd outlier on Fox News? Uh, speak to middle America, comfortable America, white, scared America, the America which is trepidatious about demographic change, the America that looks back to the 1950s, surely, 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 with America in flames, with, with, with people dying at the hands of the police, Donald Trump's inauguration speech says, this American carnage ends here. He's made it manifestly worse. And I don't understand why any rational, sensible adult cannot see that. What is it going to take, Derek, for that nice suburban family in um, Iowa, in nowhere Iowa, who are just reflexive Republican voters to go, no. And that's it. And yours is the last word. Well, right now in America, I don't know the numbers of my friends across the water where you guys are, over a hundred thousand people have died from coronavirus. There's protest riots and looting going on. That's my in point, almost sir. every state. When so will people realize gonna, though? The tipping point is now. We're looking at the tipping point. You're asking this question, we're looking at it. But what's gonna happen is this 
we have a Florida candidate in, in Joe Biden. It don't matter who the Democrats put up against this maniac. He has to go. It doesn't matter. This is, mm. we don't, at this point, it doesn't matter. Anybody short of Adolf Hitler, it doesn't matter. That's how bad it is. No. That's how bad it is. Understand what I'm saying? That's how bad it is. We'll take anybody against Trump. It's going to take everybody to go to the polls and vote. Just like we were energized to do it for Obama in 8 and again in 12, we have to do it again. We can't get wrapped up in, do we like this candidate or like that candidate? Forget the liking. This is not a beauty contest. This is our lives. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Everybody, normally we end the show with takeaways of the last uh, seven days. Uh, just so, um, just very quickly, just very quickly, just tell me something nice, fun, that has made you smile. I don't need a big treatise about it, uh, Doug. It can be a book. It can just say, I'm watching Desperate Housewives again, whatever. Uh, just so people just go away thinking, you know what, the whole world isn't going to hell in a handbasket. There, there is actually some level of hope, some kind of respite from the unremitting year, which is 2020. Doug, shoot, you're up very quickly, sir. I've been going around hiking, and as I walk, I'm Hiking is your answer. Hiking is good. It gets the endorphins. It gets us out, as long as we're social distancing. And And it gives me a chance to think that we need a world where anybody can hike on that same trail without any risk of discrimination. Fantastic. Emma Burnell, very quickly. On Monday night, I did my first ever online immersive theatre experience. Highly recommend it. It's called Jury Duty by Exit Productions. If you Google that, um, you can do it from anywhere in the world. It's enormous, enormous fun. Got me out of myself. And obviously, apart from this, it's the best thing I've done on Zoom since lockdown. Immersive (laughs) theatre. Ian Dale. Um, I've watched a series on Netflix called Crash Landing on You, and it's a South Korean drama. You have to read the subtitles, so you have to really concentrate, and it completely makes you escape from the rest of the world. You really immerse yourself in it. It's basically 
well, I, you probably don't want me to tell you the plot, but it's, have a look at it. You'll be hooked after one episode, I promise you. What's it called again? Crash Landing on You. It's Crash. kind of, it, it's all about North Korea, South Korea. It's a love story. It's really entertaining and beautiful people. Eric Perkinson, sir, very quickly. Yes, uh, two things. I was happy to be here today with you all, you guys. It's, it's not often I get uh, speak to my friends in London. Shout out to my friend in London, Shanika Powers. She's out there. She was an intern here for a couple of years. She's back. Really, real talk, serious note. My wife had coronavirus. She tested four times positive for it. We just, the good news, Monday, uh, Sunday, we got the test result. The first one, she's negative. So she's up for another test. So that's good for me. We're out the woods, um, so to speak, on that. So thank you, everyone. Please stay connected. I would love to do some of your shows. Please reach out to me. I'm available. We're going to have you back again, sir. And 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 mine is that I've come to this very quite late, about three years late, but Big Little Lies. What an amazing program. Uh, how to uh, knit together the stories of uh, five entitled privileged women in in monterey a little bit of california that i love uh but incredibly well written uh i, I believe the book uh, it did the the tv series did the book justice um it's brilliant big little lies and um yeah utterly stunning people told me for years ago watch it and i thought i need another soap or continuing drama like i need a hole in the head but it was utterly awesome so emma if people want to catch up with you on social media or follow your works how can they do that uh, you can either go to my website, it's criticalhuman.com, which is emmabunnell underscore. How about you, Doug? Best way to follow me for this topic and ones that are related is on Facebook. I'm uh, Doug Levy News, D-O-U-G-L-E-V-Y-N-E-W-S. Laura Babcock, how can people follow you and your good works, Mom? I'm Laura Babcock on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Ian Dale my new friend in london um how can people catch up with you you can contact me on twitter at ian dale i-a-i-n-d-a-l-e uh, on my website iandale.com or of course you can follow me on grinder and derek perkinson how can people catch up with you sir yeah you catch up with derek perkinson at d perk on facebook that's d-e-e space p-e-r-k D Perk on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram. I am D Perk Media LLC, all connected. D P E R K Media LLC at Instagram, at Twitter. And also follow the National Action Network on Facebook at National Action Network on Twitter and Instagram as well. And of course, if you can be bothered to uh, follow me on Twitter, you can follow me where I'm. R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D, Royfield. Uh, quite simply, what you'll find are lots of tweets about the archers, which are misspelt with no grammar whatsoever. Um, so don't forget, folks, uh, catch up with us every two weeks where we are Mid-Atlantic Show, where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. Take care. Bye-bye. No justice, Bye-bye. no peace.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.